I see my legacy as a traditional elder helping to pass on Native cultural practices just like my ancestors did. First People's Fund presents the Collective Spirit Podcast. The Collective Spirit moves each of us to stand up and make a difference, to pass on ancestral knowledge and simply extend a hand of generosity. The Collective Spirit Podcast features Native artists and culture bearers who discuss the power of Indigenous art and culture. My name is Emma Hildebrand. Uh, my maiden name is Glazier. I am one quarter Koyukon Athabascan. I was born and raised in Northway, Alaska, which is Upper Tanana Athabascan, but my ancestors are from the Yukon Koyukuk River area. And my mother, who was where my Athabascan blood comes from, was born and raised on the Kuskokwim River. And she was raised in a very traditional subsistence lifestyle. So she knew how to do everything related to our culture and related to living off the land. So a lot of what I know, I learned from her. She taught me how to skin sew and do beadwork, which I've been doing since I was seven. And in 19... 94, I learned how to do caribou hair tufting and work with porcupine quills. So most of what I do related to Native art is beadwork, quill work, and caribou hair tufting. So I've been doing a lot of that. I also have a business degree from the University of Alaska, and I was CEO and president of my Alaska Native Land Claims Village Corporation for 17 years did a little bit of my artwork on the side, mostly for gifts for family, and then started teaching that craft through the university system in about 1996, I believe. So gave up my full-time job in 2005 and started doing more of my artwork and more teaching. So that's mostly what I do now. I'm either at my kitchen table doing quill work or beadwork, or I'm teaching um, in outlying communities or here in Anchorage, where I've been living for the last 17 years. So skin work was pretty much a necessity for the Athabascan people. They had to make their own clothing, you know, their mukluks and mittens. So my mom had nine kids. She did a lot of it. She made um, pretty much everything we had to use. The beadwork part was more of an adornment um, just to make things look really nice. And she was really good at it. She did a lot of it. And of course, here in Alaska, the winters are long and cold. And so you have a lot of indoor time. So she would sit and do her beadwork and we would watch. And she never made us sit down and learn anything. But if we asked, she would put aside what she was doing and took the time to teach us. I think I remember I was about seven years old when I asked her, hey, can I make one of those? So she gathered up her spare beads and showed me how to string beads and then attach beads to a little piece of skin. And I, I still have the very first thing that I made. It's a little medallion necklace. And it was just something that I really enjoyed. 
the biggest project that I made and probably the most learning was when I participated in the Miss World Eskimo Indian Olympics in 1981. And my mom helped me design and make a moosekin parka with beadwork around the cuffs and around the bottom of the parka and on the pockets. And then I made matching mittens that were beaded. And the Chief Walter Northway's wife made me a pair of mukluks to match the outfit. I got more into making items to sell um, once I learned the tufting and the quill work, it's a very unique um, art, and I just really enjoy doing stuff like that with traditional materials. The quills and the caribou hair, you know, they're not like beads. You don't have to go to the store and buy them. You can go gather them. I really enjoy doing those two types of art. I'm the youngest of nine, and I have a sister that worked for the university system. She lived in one of the outlying areas that you had to fly in and out of. It's called McGrath. So um, she would brought me over for a weekend to teach quill work and caribou hair tufting. And I remember being really nervous about it. I, I wasn't used to teaching. It was really a lot of fun. And everybody really showed a lot of enthusiasm about learning what I was teaching. And then once I moved to Anchorage in 2005, I had a lot more free time, I guess, to be teaching. So. A lot of the times when I would go down to Tope, um, which is near the community where I grew up, those classes were grant funded, which was really good because a lot of the students that are interested in these classes can't really afford the tuition and the supply fees if we're making a large project. Um, recently, we did moosekin mittens with sheepskin lining, the supplies for those kits were about $300 each. So it was really nice that the grant would pay for that, plus the tuition for the students to take it. So when I noticed that First People's Fund had availability for grants, I, my first thought was teaching classes, because a lot of the individuals that are interested don't have the funding to pay to go and participate. Out in the um, smaller communities, they don't have free classes that are readily available like they would here in Anchorage. I was really happy when I was awarded that grant and I applied to teach classes right there just in Northway for you know the individuals that are I know are really interested in learning all of this and I noticed that they supplement their income with the crafts that they make so it was just really exciting for me to be able to provide that learning opportunity for them. My proposal was to teach several classes. First People's Fund kind of chopped it down to where there was only three. And looking back, I really appreciate that because I think if I would have taken on more, it would have been a little bit overwhelming with all of the other things that I'm doing right now. So the three classes, we are doing different kinds of beadwork and caribou hair tufting and quill work. So the first class, and, and I tried to pick projects that I knew um, they could make items to sell. So there's a lot of demand for beaded earrings and hair barrettes and um, what we call medicine pouches. And like I said, these are items that there's a pretty good demand on here in the state. I know a lot of these um, individuals 
post their items online for sale too. And it's really a good supplementation for, you know, the small income that they get living in, in the community there. There's not a lot of uh, economic base right there in the village. I, I noticed when I first started selling my artwork, people were interested, but they kind of didn't understand the time that went into some of the pieces and also the cost of the supplies. So I wasn't able to charge a lot for my items at first. And I myself wasn't familiar with, you know, advertising what I made. One of the challenges I found was finding time to make things. Even though I wasn't working full time, I still had, so I still had kids in school and uh, I just, you know, sewed whenever I could. So the first challenge was, you know, finding the customers to sell to. But over the years, as I've been teaching more and getting more exposure for what I make, I've found the demand for my artwork is pretty good. Maybe a little bit more than what I have the time to fill. So I've, I've taken orders over the years. Some of them take me a while to get done. I've kind of learned to limit the amount of um, commissions that I take. In 2008, um, my oldest daughter, 2018, my oldest daughter passed, and I have full custody of her two kids through the tribal court. Right now, they're 11 and 12. Um, when I first got them, they were seven and, and eight. Having small kids in the house again kind of limited my time for doing my art. Not that I regret, have taken in my grandkids. Then when COVID happened, um, we got kind of in the groove of doing homeschool. So even after COVID, we kind of stuck with that. So that takes a little bit more of my time too. Getting to be a well-known artist means that you can charge more for your art. So now I'm able to do less and still make the same amount of money as I used to making a lot of art. And I've seems like after COVID also the amount of money that organizations have for bringing in teachers has really increased. So now that when I'm offered a weekend of teaching out in a community, the pay is a lot better too. So I'm appreciative of that. Also, another challenge is um, getting supplies. You know, our traditional um, medium is moose hide, which has been getting more and more expensive. I think I used to be able to get a really nice hide for around $600 or $800. And a few years ago, that went up to over $2,000. Um, but as far as challenges, you know, just the time, the time thing, I think, is my biggest challenge. As far as inspiration, sometimes I just see things that other people have made and I think, oh, wouldn't this be kind of cool too? Um, sometimes people ask me to make particular items. I made quite a few moose skin and deer skin vests. And once in a while, I'll just see a group of bead colors together and that will inspire me to make something. I think that is why I put so much effort into teaching, into cultural preservation. Our Native people learn by being taught by parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. So our culture was passed down, you know, 
by instruction, hands-on teaching from our elders. And I have noticed little by little that that isn't happening so much anymore. So I feel really good about doing my part to help preserve whatever I can, whether it's just beadwork, skin sewing, passing on patterns. Um, a lot of individuals don't even know how to make patterns from moccasins and mittens. Um, I don't, I'm not just preserving native art and crafts. I'm also helping to preserve that language and hopefully together my fluent speaker and I will be teaching that language in a couple years. So I can, I see my legacy um, and I'm getting up there in age too. I'll be 60 this year. So I see my legacy as a traditional elder helping to pass on native cultural practices just like my ancestors did. Collective Spirit Podcast is produced by First Peoples Fund, whose mission is to honor and support Indigenous artists and culture bearers through grant-making initiatives, culturally rooted programming, and training and mentorship. Learn more at firstpeoplesfund.org.